Our scripture today is in Acts 4, verses 1 through 31. If you need a Bible, there's one on the back of the pews, and to help you find it, it's pages uh, 1142 to 1143. If you find a large print Bible, it's on page 1669, 1666, 96. <laughs> okay. Now we'll read our scripture. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who had heard the message believed. And the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power and name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked from he and, and asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could not see the man, but since they could see the man that had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop, them, stop, to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in all, teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And further, and further after further threats, they let them go. 
They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chiefs, chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. We do. Why do nations rage and people plot in vain? The kings of earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against the holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your that they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable the servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of the Holy Servant Jesus. After they prayed, they, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. to read chunks of scripture sometimes uh, that maybe is lengthier than what you're used to reading in church. Um, but you know, when the early church started, they would sit down with a letter, like one of the long ones that Paul would write, and read it. And that's what church was. So, um, so I think it's always really neat when we can uh, sit down and, and read a chunk of scripture like that and, and read something about what the... Uh, what the first Christians were doing. I mean, this was at the very beginning of what we call the church. And uh, so, neat passage. Look forward to talking with you about it. It reminds us, you know, that we are not just a building. It reminds us that a church is, is something more. It's people. And God's Word, like the, the verse that pops up during that sermon intro, and it's also out there on our on the side of our wall outside, it reminds us that we are being built into a living temple. Now the temple was the place where God, God's presence dwelt on earth. It's where heaven meets earth. And when Jesus came, everything changed, and the temple wasn't that place. He said, you are the temple. And now as believers, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, we are the place where heaven meets earth. And we should be the people, we should be the place, each of us, 
where people encounter God. And so that's our challenge as a church. And we've been talking about, you know, what's our legacy going to be? And we've talked about how we want to have a, a legacy, not that, uh, not that we died as a church, not that we even survived as a church, but that we thrived as a church, that we thrived as difference makers in people's lives, in our community, and in our world. And we've talked about how that doesn't just happen. You know, we can look around and we can see, uh, you can read the studies and the reports of, of church attendance declining. You can look around and just see churches closing their doors each day or every year, and, and it happens. And so, becoming a church that thrives, it's more than that. It's more than just numbers. It's what kind of difference are you making for the kingdom? And we want to be a church that makes a significant difference for the kingdom. But we know that that's not going to just happen without a couple of things. And the first and the most important thing is prayer. Because we know that it's not going to happen without God acting. Because people's lives aren't really changed without the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we have to pray like we mean it. If we really want to be a church that makes a difference in people's lives and in our community, we have to pray. And so we're trying to become increasingly a church who prays. And our next uh, We Pray Night, by the way, will be coming up in the first Wednesday night in June. And we look forward to gathering together and hitting our knees in prayer for our community, for our world, for our church. For the needs we know about. It's a serious time of prayer. And you come away blessed when you come. So I invite you to come. But the other thing it takes besides prayer. Is action. And just like we talked about last week. Jesus invites his disciples. To join him on his mission. He, he did it when he was walking this earth. He would bring his disciples in on things even when they weren't super qualified uh, or didn't have the resources they needed. Jesus still brought them in on it and said, I'll be strong in your weakness. And the same thing is true, maybe increasingly so for us today because Jesus has made us the ambassadors of his kingdom. The hands and feet of Christ in this time period between when Jesus ascended and when he returns. And so since we find ourselves here in this place and time, we know that our mission is to show the love of Christ. And so we want to be a church that's known for something like this. Something like this. <laughs> a church that cares deeply and lives boldly with Jesus as our subject. And we believe that if we do this, if we can become, by God's help, a church that truly cares deeply and lives boldly with Jesus as our subject, that we will be a church that thrives. That we will be a church that's a difference maker in people's lives for God's kingdom. And so we've been breaking this down piece by piece. And last week we began by looking at caring deeply. And we said... That when we care deeply, especially for those that don't expect us to, or especially for those that our society does not particularly care for, then we put the love of Christ on display to the world. And again, you know, we may have limited resources, we may have limited manpower, we may not have all the options that some kind of megachurch would have, but 
When we look, I mean, we looked last week at that story where Jesus feeds the 5,000 and all the disciples had was practically nothing. And Jesus said, well, bring me what you do have. And everybody that was there, 5,000 men plus women and children, left satisfied with leftovers available because Jesus' strength is perfect in our weakness. And all we, he's asking of us is, come along with me. I care for people. I'm asking you to show them that I care. And so that's the first part of our mission, to show people that Jesus cares. And this is more than just saying, well, yeah, we care as a church, because lots of churches say we care. But do people out there feel like we care? Because if they aren't being shown that care, it doesn't matter what our intentions are or how we feel inside, does it? They don't get any more of a glimpse of how much Jesus cares for them until they experience the love of Christ. And so our call to care deeply is not just something we want to feel on the inside, but something we want to show on the outside. And now today we move on to the second part of our statement about living boldly. And we believe when we live boldly for Jesus and we radically do what we say that we believe, that we'll change the world, or at least our corner of the world. Radical faith, living boldly. That's our subject today. When I was about seven years old-ish, I had a buddy named Tyler. Now, he looks pretty innocent snuggling this puppy. Uh, but the, the guy was one of those crazy kids. Everyone knows one of the crazy kids. Some of you might have been the crazy kid. But one of those kids that, you know, run over to your house in the snow in bare feet and start ringing your doorbell like this because he wants to play. You know, one of those kids. <laughs> All right. Uh, some of you are like, I have that kid at my house. Uh, Tyler was his name. And so we were buddies, and he would run over to my house, and we would play, and we'd ride our bikes together. And this is the best picture I could find of my bike back then. You may not be able to tell much. And I'm looking cool, aren't I? I mean, seven-year-old Neil was pretty awesome. And anyway, that was my awesome bike. And it was, I was, I'm still proud of that bike. But one day, Tyler and I were out riding our bikes, and Tyler had a cliff by his house. I call it a cliff because that's how I remember it. In later years, I drove by it, and it looked to be about a foot and a half tall, but I'm pretty sure they lowered it significantly, somehow, some way. At the time, it was, it was a cliff. And Tyler and I were daring each other to ride our bikes off the cliff. All right, and he would ride his bike up to it and stop, and then I'd ride my bike up to it and stop, and then he'd say, "I'll do it and stop," and I'd say, "No, I'm really going to do it and stop." And this went on, you know, in the way that it can, and, and eventually I decided this thing is ridiculous. One of us just needs to do this, or else we're just going to be locked in this thing forever, you know. So off I went. I would like to tell you that it looked something like this or even like that <laughs> but really it probably looked something more like this <laughs> and, I, and I crashed and burned for sure and Tyler never rode his bike off the cliff who would blame him after seeing the result 
But that memory has stuck with me through the years because it was a, a time in my childhood that I chose to be bold, even though it didn't work out that good. <laughs> it chose to be, I chose to be bold in that moment, and therefore the memory has stuck with me. And you probably have some memories like that too. If you look back over your life, you know, your memories of your childhood are kind of sketchy sometimes or spotty. You know, you remember this and that and the other. And probably you have one of those memories where you did something either bold or stupid, depending on how you define it, and you remember it because it stands out. You know, those kind of moments, the, we all relate to them because we are all faced with those kinds of questions on a regular basis of, you know, am I going to play it safe or am I going to be bold? Uh, they, they plague us our whole life long, those questions. You know, whether it's something as small as, am I just going to watch TV tonight or am I going to get up and do something? You know, that's on a very small scale, um, you know, a question of am I going to take it easy or play it safe or am I going to be bold? But, you know, in the bigger life question kind of things we deal with, you know, am I going to commit to this relationship or not? You know, am I going to just kind of keep this person at arm's length or, or am I going to tie the knot? Or, uh, you know, with, we have kids... And we decide, you know, am I going to be just a father or am I going to be bold and be a, a dad? With our careers, you know, we choose, am I going to have a career? I mean, that's not for everybody. Or am I just going to collect a paycheck for a while? Am I going to be bold or am I just going to play it safe? And we all deal with this in our faith as well. And everyone has a choice to make of, what am I going to do with this faith thing? You know, is this going to be something I do? Is this going to be a part of my life? Or is this going to be central to who I am? Am I going to play it safe with Jesus? Or am I going to be bold with Jesus? And today... Uh, of course, I want to ask you to be timid with your faith. <laughs> wouldn't I thought today that'd be funny, wouldn't it, if I preached a sermon on being timid in your faith? Reverse psychology. But uh, no, we're going to talk about being bold today in our faith. And whenever I think of being bold in our faith, I think of the book of Acts. Because it's just, I mean, there's lots of stories of people with bold faith throughout Scripture. But for me, one of my favorite places to read about boldness of faith is the early church. And the book of Acts is an ancient manuscript contained in our Bible that gives an account of how the church got started. When Jesus ascended, he said, guys, stay put until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And the Holy Spirit came on a day that they called Pentecost. And in that moment, and in the moments that followed that, the church as we know it began to be born. Peter boldly stood up and prayed and many, many people came to faith that day and the church began. And this, this account that we read, that we just read from Acts 4, takes place right after that. The church had just gotten its start. They were still in Jerusalem where Jesus had left them. 
And what they were doing was each day they'd go to the temple and they'd worship there and then they'd tell people about Jesus. And on this particular day, Peter and John, these guys who were the right hand of Jesus in his earthly ministry and who were taking on leadership authority in the church as it got started, Peter and John heading to the temple. And when they get to the gate of the temple, they see this guy that's probably there more days than he's not. A crippled guy. Been crippled since he was born. For 40 years he's been crippled and begging. Everyone knows his story. Everyone sees him when they go through this gate to the temple. And he asks them for money. And Peter and John famously say, you know, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have we'll give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks, and the crowd is just the, the people that are milling around and heading to the temple and, and had their things to do at the temple that day. They just stop in awe of what just happened because this man hasn't been able to walk since birth, and now he's walking. And so Peter and John seize the opportunity, of course, and they say, You know how this happened? It's the power of Jesus. And these are the kinds of things that Jesus did when he was here. And this is the kind of power that you find in the name of Jesus who, that you crucified, but he's alive. We've seen it with our own eyes. And so there's this incredible moment. And then we pick up in the story with the arrest of Peter and John. To give you a little background about this, the religious leaders in Jerusalem were not the biggest fans of Jesus. They had a history of threats against Jesus, of planning against Jesus, of disliking Jesus' little miracle thing that he would do that would stir up trouble in their sight. And in fact, right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they had a little powwow. These same leaders, whom we just read about, that were dealing with Peter and John, and here they are right after Lazarus was raised from the dead, And they're talking amongst themselves and they say, what are we accomplishing? Here's this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You don't realize that it is better for you that one man dies for the people than that the whole nation perish. And so you see these guys, these Jewish leaders, scheming about Jesus. I mean, they're not saying, wow, Jesus just raised a guy from the dead. No, they're saying, man, if he keeps going on like this, raising people from the dead, everyone's going to believe in him. (laughs) We've got to do something about him. And what did they end up doing? We all know what they ended up doing. They followed through on their threats. And they... They arrested Jesus, they put him on trial, and they put him on a cross, and they killed him. So you can imagine, you can just imagine how infuriated they must be. Now, they've had a month or so of peace and quiet about this Jesus stuff, and then they're walking into work that day, and everyone's talking about Jesus again. And another miraculous sign. And they said, oh my goodness. And so they haul those guys off. They sleep on it. They come the next morning and they say, what are we going to do with this? Everything, you know, every other time that we've had a would-be Messiah, we, we do away with them and it dwindles away. We don't hear about it anymore. 
But this Jesus thing, just, you know, we killed him, but apparently that wasn't good enough. So they bring in Peter and John, and they tell them that they need to be quiet about Jesus. And Peter and John respond, judge for yourself whether we should listen to you guys or whether we should listen to God. It's interesting, it says that it says that those leaders recognized when they saw the courage of Peter and John realized they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and took note these men had been with Jesus imagine how bold you have to be you know you're in with the they're sitting there with those same guys that plotted and killed Jesus and now they're threatening them and just to look them in the face and say we're just speaking the truth we're just doing what God's asked us to do what would you have us do? not obey God? (laughs) it's pretty bold but you say well of course it's bold it's Peter and John it's Peter who steps out of boats and walks on water with Jesus it's these guys who were the closest to Jesus. And now they're the leaders of this movement. So of course they're going to be bold, but you can't expect all of us to be so bold. But what I love so much about this passage, and the reason I wanted to share it with you today as we talk about living bold lives of faith, is not Peter and John, but it's the believers who they went back and spoke with. It says that when they were released, they went back to the gathering of believers. So many of them, brand new Christians. Brand new to the faith. And they said, here's what happened. You you guys know we spent the night in jail. They hauled us in this morning. They threatened us to stop saying anything about Jesus. And it's amazing to me how the believers responded. They responded in prayer. Now, I would expect, just in my mind, growing up in the church the way I did, the prayer that I would expect would go something like this. And it doesn't sound like a bad prayer, does it? Lord, we need your help. We don't know what to do here. They killed you, and now they're threatening us. We need you to protect us and to guide us, keep us safe. Help us to figure out how to minister safely. Protect our families. You know, we've been trying to trust you and minister in your name, but now we don't know what to do. Help us, we pray. Amen. That's about what I would expect us to pray. It doesn't sound like a bad prayer, does it? Isn't that what you would expect to pray if someone was threatening your life? But what they prayed, they began saying, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea, everything in them. They start by just saying, God, we remember that you're in charge, that you are sovereign, that our lives are in your hands, that this whole earth is what you created. Let's just put things in perspective. And then they go on to pray. 
Now, Lord, consider their threats. Take note, God, of what they're saying. And enable us to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Does that not blow your mind? Peter and John have just been threatened. They come back and they tell the people, here's what they said. And the believers gather together and they pray, Sovereign Lord, Take note of what they're saying. And in the meantime, you help us do our job. Our mission is to speak boldly about you. And we just ask that you take care of the rest. What a bold prayer. I pray that if I ever find myself in their situation, that I'd be so bold. That we would be so bold. It's hard to know what we would do in that situation, isn't it? You can think about, you know, well, what would I do? And we may get the chance to find out one of these days. We really might. And I pray that if that day comes, that we'll still be calling Him sovereign. And that we'll still be praying for boldness. To speak the truth. To show people how deeply Jesus cares. To live out our faith boldly. You look around at... America today and Christianity in America today. I'm not sure that bold is necessarily what comes to mind. At least not that kind of bold. It seems to me that you know, a lot of people talk about how less and less people are going to church and this is a problem. And I'm not really sure if the problem is less people going to church or if it's less people being the church. In a way, I feel like maybe we have too many people going to church, but not being the church. And if we just had a handful of people that were radically living out what they say they believe, then maybe that would make a bigger difference than people going to church in droves on Sundays. It seems to me that more a lot of time, in a lot of cases, I know that there's examples, don't get me wrong, there's examples of people radically living out their faith, and we all know people who are radically living out their faith. Some of us are, but most all of us in this room, including me, have times where we'd say, my faith's kind of wimpy sometimes. And I think when you look at Christianity as a whole, you have to say it's a kind of a wimpy faith. Because when you look at Christians, they don't look much different than the world. And that's one of the big problems that people often say they have with the church, isn't it? Well, they're not much different than me. How can that be? As we talked about with the Kingdom series, God's Kingdom is a Kingdom whose values are completely upside down from the values of this world. Completely upside down. And the script, you know, scripture tells us again and again and again that we are to live as foreigners in a foreign land. And that's because the values of the kingdom where our citizenship ultimately lies is just so different from the kingdoms of this world. You know, I, I have this theory that I look forward to uh, the first time that 
Hadley tells me, uh, well, all my friends are doing this <laughs> because I want to preach her my foreigner in a foreign land speech. <laughs> You're right, honey. We just, we're weird. We do things different than everyone else here because we're foreigners in a foreign land. I'm sure that'll go over well. But isn't that how we're called to live? Shouldn't there be a difference? Hmm. You know, it just seems like for a lot of us, this whole Jesus thing, this whole Christianity thing, it's just something that we do. It's in there with, you know, we've got, you got faith, you got family, you got friends, you got country. God bless America. We wear our crosses. And if someone's going through a hard time, we say, we'll pray for you, because that's what Christians do. That's about as far as we take it. You know, we show up on Sundays, you know, if it's not Memorial Day weekend and we're not fishing, you know. Or <laughs> no offense to anyone listening online that was gone this weekend to go fishing. But, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like you've got all this stuff going on in your life. You've got all these different compartments. You've got your work compartment and your family compartment and all this stuff. And, and Christianity is one of those compartments, you know. And it fits in nicely on Sunday mornings, possibly on a Wednesday night if you have time for that sort of thing. And that's about as bold as our faith gets. And otherwise, we live a life that looks a lot like everyone else's, you know. And that's why we hear so many country songs that talk about, uh, you know, drinking and playing poker on Saturday night and then waking up and heading to church on Sunday. And then, you know, and it's a fun little country song. But the reason it's funny and the reason people like to listen to it is because it kind of represents many of our lives, you know, that for the most part, we just live our life the way everyone else lives our life, but then we added in Jesus, too. That's a wimpy kind of faith, in my book. When I set it up against a bold kind of faith, like what we just read about this morning. So I want to challenge you to be bolder in your faith than that. I want to challenge you to decide, you know, is this Jesus thing going to just be a part of my life? Some, something that I do, or you know, maybe a sticker I put on my car? Or, or is it going to be something that affects my whole life? Is my faith going to be what boldly influences what I do with my job and my career? What I do with my family and with my kids? With everything, with how I manage my money and my time. With how I deal with the stuff life throws at me. And maybe you would be willing to ask this Am I boldly living out what I say I believe? You got this note card this week and maybe just fill in those blanks and in the moments following this message and in the next few days maybe you could just wrestle with that one a little bit. 
It's a big question to wrestle with. Am I boldly living out what I say I believe? As a church, we need to be bold as well. You know? I mean, just playing it safe as a church isn't going to lead to being a church that thrives, that makes a difference in the lives of our community and our world. If we want to reach people that no one else is reaching, we're going to have to try some bold things. And there's plenty of people out there that nobody's reaching. It's not like, you know, you look at, well, there's a church on every corner and that kind of thing, yes. And yet there's so many people that still need Jesus. So what we need is not so much another church on another corner as much as the churches that are on the corners beginning to reach out and make a difference in people's lives and to show people how much Jesus cares and to do it in bold fashion so that when people look at our lives they see something that looks different than their own life. So let's wrestle with this as a church as well. I was thinking of something we can celebrate from the last year. There's been lots of things, I think, that qualify as something bold that we've done in the last year. Not that we can't get bolder, but just as a, a good example. I thought one of the good examples from the last year was, uh, was the fall festival. I don't know if you can remember that far back. But I remember sitting in a, in a board of CE meeting, and they were telling me about fall festivals and what we had done in the past. And... All I remember saying was something like, what if we went a little bit bold with it this year? And, you know, tried to do something fun like an inflatable or something, I don't know what, and, you know, maybe try to invite the neighborhood or something like that. That question was my sole contribution to the whole thing. But it was pretty neat just to see what the board of CE and what all of you did with it because all of a sudden yeah there was an inflatable out there and there were also ponies out there and there was also a petting zoo out there and there was also a tractor pulling around a, a uh, some kind of train thing for kids that the kids just loved there were a bunch of games out there there was all sorts of stuff out there and kids that might never otherwise darken the door of a church had a good experience with the church that night and so did their parents just an example of sometimes we just need to be a little bit bold I want to ask you this week to consider this as well and we're going to have time you know, right after I'm done here in just a second um, Carolyn's going to come and she's going to sing nothing is impossible I thought that was really appropriate on a week where we're reminding ourselves to be bold that nothing's impossible for our God And you're going to have some time in the moments after the message to try and fill in this blank. And I want to encourage you to get specific. How can I live out my faith more boldly this week? Something specific. And dream a little bit. Think a little bit. What would it look like if we get bold with our faith? What would it look like if believers started being bold enough with our relationships and with our marriages? What would happen to the divorce rate that seems so high amongst Christians, just like it is amongst the world, if Christians started dating God's way 
and started choosing their spouse God's way and started treating their spouse the way scripture says to which is the way Jesus treated his church which is pretty serious (laughs) submitting to one another and sacrificing for one another what would happen to our families then that's just one example I mean what would happen to our communities if people started boldly living out Jesus' command to care for the poor, to pay attention to them? The list could go on and on. But I just want us to pray and continue praying as individuals and as a church that the Holy Spirit would so empower us to live bold lives of faith that one day they'd say something about us like they said about Peter and John. That when they see the courage of Cypress Street Church of God and realize we're just ordinary people, they'll be astonished and take note that these people are with Jesus. Wouldn't that be cool? Let's pray together. Father, surely nobody was bolder than Jesus. We thank you, God, for calling us out of our old way of life that always ended up in so much ugliness and pain into a new life, a better life, through Jesus. We pray that you'd empower us by your Holy Spirit to live bold lives of faith, radically living out what we say we believe. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.